Well, hey, everybody. Uh, I hope this video finds you doing well, um, feeling healthy, and uh, staying home. Uh, life seems a lot different from the last time that we were together. Uh, the last time I was here with everyone was March 1st. And so uh, since then, I missed the next Sunday, uh, Daniel Bray taught. Uh, I was on spring break. My, my wife and daughter, Missy and Tinsley, they were um, overseas, and me and the boys were at the beach. And, uh, and everything happened uh, like it did with you over spring break. It seemed like it was about Thursday when things got crazy. Uh, and so since that time, uh, Missy and Tinsley, they, they made it back, but they've been quarantined in Jackson. Uh, so we won't see them until Thursday. So it'll be about three weeks that we're going to be apart, which is obviously uh, difficult. Uh, Shoemaker boys and Shoemaker girls have been separated for a while now. Uh, and I've spoken and texted with a lot of you guys. Um, not everyone, but a lot of you, and uh, I'm not sure how everyone is doing or, or how everyone is um, uh, being affected by this. There's, there's probably a spectrum, right, of uh, people who are uh, a bit inconvenienced uh, to people who are experiencing a high degree of fear and anxiety. Um, and, and those fears could be um, related to different things. It could be um, with, with health, uh, your health, or someone you, you know and love that could be threatened with the coronavirus. Uh, it, it could be uh, something just with school. Uh, I know many of you were in your senior year, whether it was high school or in college, and uh, you know you were around in third, heading home, and this was kind of the, the one, the, the, the glorious ending, uh, and you feel a bit robbed of that. I know there was proms and parties and athletic things going on uh, that's just kind of come to a halt, and we don't know if it'll pick back up or be done again. It's just kind of a mystery. Uh, some of you might have a measure of fear, anxiety about work. Uh, it could be your business, uh, the place where you uh, are employed, uh, and your time there uh, could be threatened. And it might just be with the home. We're all kind of an, on a new dynamic uh, where we're all stuck at home. And, you know, kind of ideally you'd say, oh, it's great family time, but might be a tough go for, for, for a lot of folks. So anyway, wherever you are on the spectrum of uh, just a, a bit inconvenience to a high degree of fearing anxiety, uh, the future for all of us is unpredictable. Uh, even with our plan that we went out with the church, uh, it seems like we have a plan moving forward, and surely these things are going to change uh, and evolve as, uh, as as our situations change. Uh, so we think we have a plan to go forward, uh, but at the same time, we don't know when that plan will end and when we'll be all uh, back together again. So how do we uh, uh, approach this mystery of a time, uh, the, the future that is to come is unpredictable. It's a mystery. How do we approach this season of mystery with wisdom? Uh, how, do we, uh, how do we approach a future that seems threatening and, and even a bit disappointing? And how do we approach the, a future where we aren't just worried about what, what will happen, but we're already a bit devastated about what already has happened? So in, in 2016, we, we went through the, the book of Job together as, as a church. And, and the bulk of that book involves a mystery. Like about 30 of the 42 chapters in Job involve the mystery. And, and the mystery or the question is this, why is Job suffering? Job's friends think they know why. And they offer their theories to why Job is suffering and what God is doing during that season in Job's life. 
they, they want to know what's happening. They think they know what's happening. Uh, and in the end, we see that, these, that, that Job's friends were not wise in their pursuit to figure out answers for Job's suffering. And in fact, they're even rebuked by God himself. And when we look at chapter 42, I think we can see some of the overall lesson of the book. The, the book of Job is a wisdom book. And the book of Job is obviously about suffering. Therefore, the book of Job is about wisdom in the midst of suffering. In suffering, we need wisdom more than we need answers. And that's, that's kind of counterintuitive because when we suffer, our instinct is to seek out answers. Whenever we suffer, we have a million questions that, that demand answers. But God's word tells us, no, no, we don't need answers. We need wisdom. And so what I want to do today is I want to kind of go back to some of the things we looked at while we studied our, the, the book of Job, and I think some of it comes together best in that last chapter after everything's kind of said and done. And so uh, as you're watching this, wherever you might be, uh, probably at home, um, I want you to get, go and get your Bible out, pull it up on your phone, whatever you're doing, and follow along because I want you to, as always, see it from the text yourself as we kind of study and think through it. So we're in Job chapter 42. Uh, Job's uh, an easy book to find. Uh, you go to Psalms, you open up the Bible right in the middle. You're at the Psalms. Uh, go left, and Job is the next book if you're turning left. So uh, Job chapter 42, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Job 42, verse 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So, these are Job's concluding remarks at the end of the book. Let's pray for, ask God to give us wisdom as we consider this. Uh, Father in heaven, we open your word during this unique season um, of life and for our uh, state and for our country. And we pray that you would open our eyes to see truth in your word, uh, that even as we consider what you have uh, written and preserved for us to see, that we would be able to apply it to our lives now. And so we pray for your grace and your help. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I think there's four things that we can find in Job chapter 42 that will help us to suffer with wisdom. And this is important because we won't naturally suffer with wisdom. We will we'll naturally suffer maybe, maybe kind of poorly. Maybe we get angry. Maybe we, we, have, we get anxious or fearful. But we want to be wise during this time. And so we need the scriptures to recalibrate our heart and our mind to do this well. And there are four things to consider in Job chapter 42 that I think will help us to suffer with wisdom. Here are the four things. The mystery of God's purposes. Number two, the questioning of God's character. Three, the knowability of God. And four, the restoration of man. So first, the mystery of God's purposes. In Job 42 verse 2, we see that what conclusion Job came to in regards to why he was suffering. And here's what we read in Job 42.2. Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
what Job needed to understand in his suffering and what we need to understand in our suffering is that no purpose of God can be thwarted. If God's purpose for us is to live, then we live. If it's to die, then we die. If it's to get the coronavirus, then we get the coronavirus. If it's to be healthy, then we will be healthy. If it's to be poor, then we will be poor. If it's to be wealthy, then we will be wealthy. It is all in his hands. Now, look, I'm not a fatalist. I, I think we should wash our hands and take precautions. And I think those who, who don't take precautions and say they trust God, I, I think that's more testing God in his ascent. And so God uses means to keep and preserve his people. But what I am saying is that we need to understand that ultimately it is God who is in control. Our, our suffering or our lack of suffering is all in his hands. And do you remember in the book of Job how all this mess started with Job? Was it, was it Satan coming up to, to God and saying, God, I want to mess with this guy, Job? It was not that. It was not that. Satan came before God. And God initiated a conversation with Satan. He said, Satan, have you considered this guy? My servant, Job. And Satan goes on to say, well, he only worships you because you've given him all these great things. If I take it away, then he won't. And then God says, well, so be it. Take it away. And he does. And it's important for us to realize that in the book of Job, this whole thing began with God. It, it, it didn't begin with Satan. It began with God. It was God's plan and God's purpose. Now, God did know evil. He's not the author of evil, but he allowed this in order to fulfill his plan and purpose. And it's important for us to understand that God is in complete control and that he is always fulfilling his plans and purposes in the world and in our lives. And these plans and purposes, without doubt, include the coronavirus. And when someone asks, what is God doing? With this, what is God doing with the coronavirus, with everything getting shut down, with people losing work and getting sick, and, and all these things? Why is this happening? There's really only one good answer, and it's this we don't know. It's a mystery. That, that's the only real and true thing we can say. Now, over time, we might learn that God was doing some things here or there, but for now, we mostly just have no clue. And one reason we have no clue is because he's not just doing one thing. He's doing a billion things in a billion different places and people. And so people's lives are being radically impacted during this time. Some people will have to move or, or change careers. Some businesses won't make it. Uh, people will find new jobs. Lives will be terribly disruptive. And so God's doing a, a million different things, and most of which we will never know anything about. Look, I, I've shared before that Missy and I owe our existence uh, to, to tragedy and deep suffering. On my side, I have a grandfather whose first wife died shortly after they had their first child. He eventually married my grandmother, who had my mother, who had me. And then on Missy's side, uh, Missy's uh, grandparents met at World War II um, in, in Austria. And they met and married and had Missy's mom, who had obviously Missy. And so, look, here's the thing, is that our very existence came from gut-wrenching tragedy, awful tragedy that people prayed for those things to, the, the tragedies that surrounding the, these events, prayed for these things to stop. 
but but yet God was doing things in the midst of that. And look, obviously I'm not saying that, that Missy or I are so great that our lives validate these, these great tragedies. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying God's doing a billion different things that no one can see or really know about in the midst of tragedy, of evil, and suffering. And, and often no one will see the, the, the good that's coming out of it. They'll, they'll only really see the bad. God's plans and purposes that cannot be thwarted often arise out of deep tragedy and chaos. And these tragedies and all this, this the suffering often just feels like an unsolved mystery and no one knows why it's happening. But that's why it's so important for us to embrace the mystery of God's purposes. Because if we don't embrace mystery, then we're going we're gonna to demand answers. And if you believe in a God who controls everything, as I think you should, but you don't equally embrace the mystery of God's purposes, then you will struggle with anger. And in tragedy, you will begin to question the character of God. So that brings me to my second point, questioning God's character. In Job 42, 3, verse 3, Job quotes God and then responds. He quotes God saying, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? This is basically God saying that Job didn't know what he was talking about. Then Job answers God's question, agreeing with him. And he says, therefore, I uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. So here's what Job is doing. He is repenting from not embracing the mystery of God's purposes. He tried to figure it out. And in doing so, we don't have time to study this where, where he, was, he was going through all this in the rest of the book, but in doing so, he questioned God's character. And that is where Job crossed the line. One lesson we get from the book of Job is that during tragedy, it is right to, to cry, to mourn, to weep, to even wail. But there is a line that we must not cross. And that line is questioning God's character. It's only natural to ask during, during times of deep suffering, why does a sovereign God allow tragedy, evil, and suffering? It's only natural. And, and I have a response to that question. And, and I say response, I, I, I don't have an answer to that question. I have a response to that question of why does God allow suffering? And here's my response to why God allows evil, suffering, and tragedy. I think the book of Job informs this in, in two ways. One, God is not obligated to answer that question. Why does God allow evil, suffering, tragedy? Number one, God is not obligated to answer that question. That's what we learn throughout the book of Job, especially in chapter 38. And two, we don't need to know the answer to that question. We probably wouldn't like it anyway. It, it might not be good enough for us. We might not be satisfied with the reason. And look, that is annoying and glorious. It's annoying because it means that there's going to be loose ends that never get tied up, that we're never going to know why something terrible happened. We will never have a good explanation for it in and of ourselves, and that's annoying. But it's glorious because it tells us that God's ways are not our ways, and that He is doing things that we cannot see and we cannot even fathom. It'd be like if we were in a maze, and when you're in a maze, you can't see except for the, just the little sight that you have. All you see is walls, but maybe somebody 30,000 feet up sees this huge 
maze, and they know what's going on, but there's no way the person in it can see. And so we know that God sees all, knows all. We know that he is good and that his purposes are moving forward according to his plan. So his ways are not our ways. They are beyond our understanding, and we need to rest and be at peace with that. You know, there's a cemetery across from where City Bagel was. Um, it's the, I think, I believe it's called the Oddfellow Cemetery. Uh, and there's a woman who was buried there in 1908. She was about 30 years old. Uh, and I don't know her story, and I don't know about her family, but I do know that she was dearly loved. And those who loved her knew how to suffer with wisdom. And, and I want to read to you what was written on her gravestone. And notice how the people who wrote this, assume, I assume this was her, her family or parents, but, but notice how they embraced God's sovereignty without questioning his character or accusing him of wrong. This is what's on this 30-year-old's gravestone. Lord, she was thine and not mine own. Thou hast not done me wrong. I thank thee for the precious loan afforded me so long. So how does someone suffer with wisdom when they lose a child? They acknowledge that their child belonged to God and wasn't their own. And then acknowledging that God is sovereign, say this, Thou hast done me no wrong. And then give thanks for what he has done. This is what it looks like to suffer with wisdom. Not to pursue answers, but to pursue wisdom. To rest in the goodness of God. Thou hast not done me wrong. As Christians, we should be able to make sense of thanking God in the midst of suffering. For example, was the torture and murder of the Son of God a good thing? Emphatically no, and emphatically yes. There, there was a lot of sin involved in, in putting Jesus on the cross. And the, the, the torture and, the, and the, the, the nails on the cross, that the, the sin that, that it took to get him there, there was a lot of sin and bad things that had to happen. But at the same time, it was the most redemptive moment of, of, of all human history. So to suffer with wisdom is to know that God is doing good things in the midst of bad things. To suffer with, wisdoms, to suffer with wisdom doesn't mean you minimize or ignore the bad. And it doesn't mean bad, that the badness of it all means that God is absent, as he will so often feel in the bad times. Suffering with wisdom is saying both, this is really bad, and God is doing something good. That's what, it's, that's what it looks like to suffer with wisdom. So let me ask you, do you suffer with wisdom? Now look, this might not be your season of suffering. You, you might be mildly inconvenienced during all this. Maybe this is your big moment of suffering. I, I'm not sure where everyone is at. But, but do you suffer well with wisdom? If you would suffer with wisdom, then you will embrace the mystery of God's purposes and you will refuse to question God's character. And I add another element of suffering with wisdom is this. It's gaining of knowledge of who God is. My third point, the knowability of God. Let's look at what Job says in chapter 42, verse 4 through 6. So Job 42, verse 4 through 6. Hear, and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. 
Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Here, Job is referencing what God said in chapter 38. He realized he was wrong to question God, but there is something more than just knowing not to question God. If you suffer with wisdom, you will see God more clearly in suffering with wisdom. Job says this, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Something about suffering helps us to know God in a more real way. C.S. Lewis has famously said, pain insists uh, insist upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It's easy to ignore God when all is well. It is impossible to ignore God when all seems lost. So in God's mercy and kindness, he allows us to suffer so that we might not become blind to our brokenness and to the world around us and our need for him. So suffering with wisdom will include embracing the mystery of God's purposes, never questioning God's character, and seeking to know God in the midst of the suffering. There's one last aspect of suffering with wisdom I want to address, and it has to do with hope. The fourth point is the restoration of man. Now, we see in this last section of Job that he is fully restored. The Lord gives him twice as much as he had before. I didn't read this earlier, but it's in the latter part of chapter 42. But God gives him uh, everything back and doubles it. Now, I think this is a picture of of the world to come more than this life. And that while God might materially bless us after suffering, I don't think that's what is promised here or in other places. And while we might get fired from a job only to get a better job, I don't think that's what this passage is promising or or, or telling us. I don't think this is a promise of God that we can hang on. But what we can expect is that God will make all things new. And, And this is what Jesus accomplished in his life and death, that he would make the world new, a world without suffering. And all who trust in Jesus and his work can hope in that world to come. And for those of us who trust in the work of Christ, we believe that the glory of the world to come will outweigh the suffering of this life. Consider 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17. It says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The Apostle Paul is saying that suffering in this life is one of the ingredients to our future glory. The more you suffer well in this age, the heavier the weight of glory will be in the next age. And look, there's a sense when you understand eternity. If you think about our life, it's as James says, James chapter 4, where a mist that appears for a little while then vanishes. Eternity is forever. And so this life is, is a momentary suffering compared to what the age to come. And so if there is momentary suffering that gives glory to the age to come, then we will look back on this a thousand years, a million years, 10 million years later, and think that was a light and momentary affliction, no matter how painful it might be. And, and this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5. 11 and 12. He said, Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when we suffer with wisdom, 
when we suffer in a way that brings God glory, when we suffer for Jesus's sake, we are making deposits into future glory. There is a connection between our future glory and our present suffering. And I believe this is true in in great and glorious sufferings and even in the smaller things. I think this was true for Jim Elliott, who, uh, who died a martyr taking the gospel to the Indians in Ecuador. I believe this is true uh, of, of the laid-off employee who during his um, financial drought becomes rich in good works. And I believe this is true for the, for the faithful mom who is underappreciated and misunderstood, but loves her husband and children well and is faithful with what God has given her to do. I believe this is true for the faithful husband who feels like he only hears complaints and nagging, but is genuinely trying to love and lead his family well. And I believe this is true for the student who might feel isolated like they don't fit anywhere or that their convictions don't serve them well socially, but they honor their parents, they treat others with kindness, and they live as Jesus would have them. I believe the Bible teaches that there is a reward for suffering with wisdom and that there's a future glory that will outweigh the present suffering. And it's a glory so great that it's even worth rejoicing over and being thankful for in the midst of the suffering. So we want to suffer well. We want to suffer with wisdom. How do we do that? How do we approach a worldwide pandemic as Christians? Well, I think we do four things. One, we embrace the mystery of God's purposes. Two, we never question or accuse God of wrongdoing. He has done me no wrong. We seek God and not answers to the suffering uh, we experience. And last, we know that our future glory will outweigh the present suffering. And so may God give us grace to see the world through the lens of the cross, where a sovereign God is doing unimaginable good in the midst of real pain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are living in a day where there is a threat of a virus. All of us are vulnerable. And more than that, all of us are vulnerable to many other things. And so we pray that in a fragile world, that today seems more fragile than normal, that you would help to give us a truly Christian perspective, that we would hope in you, in your grace, in your goodness, that we would understand that no purpose of yours can be thwarted, that we would never question or accuse you of wrongdoing, that we would seek you more than answers, and that we would rest in the hope of a future glory that will outweigh the present suffering. And so we pray for your grace to be heavy on us and our town uh, during this season of life. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.